Uh, we're in the middle of a little series uh, that we're calling Secure, just a simple uh, thought, simple idea um, around asking ourselves the question, you know, does God actually want you to feel secure for one? And what might that actually look like in a number of different areas in our lives? Uh, security is something that um, I think we're, it's safe to say that we all want. I mean, how many of you like feeling terrified about everything all the time? Like, it's super fun, right? Like, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a fun experience. A- anxiety uh, is something that we, that we wrestle with beyond just the stuff that we're talking about. Uh, there's a lot uh, that we could talk about in terms of anxiety around even uh, medical things and chemical things going on in our bodies uh, in terms of uh, what we might need to deal with in terms of treatment. But in terms of our relationship with God and, and how we process uh, some of the things we just commonly journey through uh, in life, we, we want to know what security is. We want to know really more than uh, what it means tangibly. We want to know what it means like for us in a really, really deep way. Uh, what's the kind of security that we can carry with us uh, through different circumstances in life? We're just going to hit a few uh, scriptures as we sort of uh, reintroduce this topic and get ourselves thinking about this again. Uh, and this is Paul speaking, and we, we read this at the beginning of the series. But this is Paul talking about his journey as a, as a leader in, um, in the a- area of Asia where he was traveling. Uh, obviously, Paul, from the way he talks and the way he, he speaks, he seems like an incredibly secure person. But as he describes his life experience, uh, we see that that's not what we think it might be. And so he's, uh, he's actually boasting here about uh, people that are... Uh, sort of competing with him or, or wrestling against him in his passion to see that the gospel goes forward. And he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I'm more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. What a wonderful life. Christian life is just so great. Um, I've, I've been exposed to death and again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Let's just all do Christianity together and just have such a wonderful life. If you just accept Jesus into your heart, everything is going to be amazing for you. I just want you to know that, says Paul. Uh, Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones, and three times I was shipwrecked. God's just going to make your life better and better and better as you follow him. He is just going to give you victory after victory after victory. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Glory, hallelujah, brother. It's a wonderful life. Right? It's a crazy journey. The journey that we're called to in terms of following Jesus clearly from what Paul is describing about his own life isn't something that's about having perfect circumstances all around us. But if you read the scriptures and capture the heart of God, there is a kind of security that he is longing for us to have. Uh, Psalm chapter 23, verse 4 to 5 says this, and this is the 23rd Psalm, a great comfort for many of us. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
somehow this security that God is providing for us allows us to have a place of calm, a place of steadiness, a place of security uh, as we're eating dinner in the presence of our enemies. As we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Christianity is about finding joy uh, in places where it's unlikely that we will find joy. The Father wants us to have a deep sense of security in him, but it's not necessarily a, a security that's a reflection of our circumstances, right? All the same, true security is available for us in all circumstances. True security, not really nice, happy, fluffy, perfect, circumstantial security. Deep security. So what does that look like for us? We look at these, we're looking at these different areas. Home security. What is it like to have security in the sense of uh, our relationships, how we do family? What does it mean in terms of our vocation? We talked about that last week. This week we're going to talk about financial security. Uh, the following week we're going to talk about personal security. So security in terms of our, uh, our identity in Christ. What does it mean to be a secure person in terms of knowing who we are uh, as, we, as we navigate the world? And then spiritual security. We're going to talk uh, basically about salvation, what true eternal security is about. But for this week, we're looking at, uh, at financial security, what it might mean for us to be people who have a deep sense of security in God's provision for us, uh, regardless of uh, the circumstances we're able to achieve around us. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be a sweet deal? To feel really secure uh, financially, even when you're busted? Wouldn't that be great? To have a, a, a clear sense of joy, no matter what you're navigating in life, uh, Theo uh, Paphlidis says this. He says, if the cash runs out, it's like a heart attack for you and your business. Keep that front and center of your mind and you'll have financial security and not be struggling to pay the bills. So you'll have financial security if you have lots of cash. Uh, when I searched financial security and looked at quotes on, on it online, like just secular quotes, all of them were the key to having financial security is having more money. Basically, that's it. If you want to be financially secure, get more money. Okay, that's great. I would like to have that kind of financial security. As a pastor, that's always been uh, my experience, is that I've always had so much cash. I've never, ever got to the bottom of my bank account. It's been fantastic. Is that your experience, too? How many of you found the bottom of your bank account before? Right? You know what that looks like, what zero looks like. How many of you have overdraft? You know what less than zero looks like, Right? Like it's, it's a real deal. It's, and, and when you get to that place, it's not easy. It's, it's stressful, isn't it? It's a challenge. It's, it's, it's cabbage time. It's cabbage time. <laughs> and beans and rice are pretty great, too. Um, Anne and I have had lots of cabbage time in our life. Um, I, you know, I was telling this story when I was speaking uh, in, in the States earlier in the week uh, to all of these students. It was so funny. We were speaking down at uh, the college I went to. And it's really weird. You get these conversations with these young students. What's it like to really be a pastor? I'm like, it is so great, man. It's fantastic. Except sometimes you have to eat cabbage with hot sauce a lot. So we were, you know, when we were early in our ministry, we're we're in Toronto, massive church, like a church with a $12 million budget. But we're working hard. Like there's so much money to be spent on ministry that none of us are taking much of a salary at all. And we're struggling to do life and struggling to do ministry. All kinds of people coming to faith. All kinds of craziness going on in the middle of renewal. 
And we would come home from sometimes something like a youth conference where we'd have 6,400 people gathered and dancing their faces off and worshiping Jesus and praising God. And we'd be feeling this enormous sense of victory. Like God is so good. He's doing such amazing things. And we would come home and we would look at our bank account. Are we going to go to the grocery store on the way home? We're like, no, but we have some cabbage. And we would like shave off this bit of cabbage off of the, the, the cabbage head thing and chop it up. And we would put it in the microwave with a little water and we would just let that cook in the microwave. And it would just sort of steam and soften up. And then we would put a little Frank's Red Hot on it. After we drained the water out because that would be really gross if you didn't drain the water. And if we're feeling like we, like we had it together, we would sprinkle some Parmesan cheese on that, on that. And if we were feeling really, really rich, we'd put bacon bits. It was fantastic. Bacon bits are amazing on cabbage and hot sauce. And that's sometimes the life uh, in, terms of, in terms of ministry. And Paul just describes this. He's like, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So the question for us in plenty or in want or whatever our struggle is, whatever the numbers are that you see when you log on and look in your bank account like Paul did. I don't know what app he used for that. But uh, when you log on and look at your bank account, um, the, the question really is how do we partner with God to enjoy a sense of security in those circumstances? How do you find peace in those circumstances? Where does that come from? Where do you find that strength that Paul described through which he could endure anything? And so that's the challenge for us. Uh, When you look in the scriptures, there are over 2,000 references to money and finance in the scripture. Over 2,000. If you look at a concept like faith, there's like 76 references to faith that are really clear references. So why is there such an emphasis in the scripture on money and, and all of that that we struggle with in our day-to-day? You know, why, why would there be so much teaching, talk, thought on money in the scriptures? And the answer to that is, is that if you're anything like me, money gets to your heart. Doesn't money and the struggle with it or the abundance of it, isn't that something that gets your heart? When money is off in your life, do you feel it? Do you feel the stress? When you get a pile of money that you weren't expecting, do you feel elation and joy? God just knows that when it comes to our finance, if he can teach us something about that and through that, he's got us right here every time. And of course, the goal is to not have uh, finance at the center of our heart. I know for me as a pastor, as an area of continual uh, repentance, not just me as a pastor, me as, me as a person, this is an area of continual repentance, right? There's so many times when uh, we wrestle with a fear of lack or a fear of not having uh, what we think we need to have or a fear of it eventually evaporating or whatever that struggle is. 
And when we capture that fear and we, when we latch onto it, that fear of lack, that fear of want, uh, is really actually not as much a fear of not having that thing. If you look at it in a different way, that fear is actually a worship of money. Isn't it? It's a placing of finance and money above God who provides for you. The system that provides cash and puts it in your bank account or does God provide for you? And if we are full of enormous fear about our finance, clearly we don't have God in the right place. But there's some things that we can learn from the scriptures in terms of walking through that and, and just our relationship to money I think can be really helpful. Uh, very often when we're preaching, I, I'd love to do something that is like an expository look at one specific passage and just walk through it. In this case, we're going to look at a bunch of verses from all over the scripture. So uh, it's, it's not quite the, the form for a sermon that we want to take, but uh, I think just to capture some of God's heart around money, it's a, this is a really good way to do it. Um, so here's, here's a first thought for us. Wealth itself isn't evil. It can be used powerfully and produce reward. Uh, it's, that's just a warning on the front end that uh, we can have uh, such a negative attitude to wealth and money uh, that, that that piece can be unhealthy as well. And Timothy um, is receiving this counsel from Paul, and, uh, and, and it's because Timothy is sort of pastoring churches, he's uh, growing communities, and, and Paul is like, I want you to be able to relate to the people that have wealth and help them be inspired to do good with what they have. And Paul is teaching them, and he says this, he says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, and that's a really important theme in Scripture, is that riches are uncertain. They're not as steady as we think they are, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Right? We're looking not to uh, the system around us, to the banking system, to employment, to the government, to all of those things which can affect our cash flow, essentially. We're not looking to those things for security. Uh, We're looking to God. And then he just says this, he says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves uh, the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So Paul rolls a whole bunch of uh, thoughts into here. Uh, First one, don't let money uh, be at the center. Don't trust it. Uh, Trust me. With the money that you have, do good works. Do good things with it. Uh, Don't be selfish with it. Invest it. Pour it out. Uh, Don't store it up for yourself. Be generous and store it up for eternity. Right? When you're generous with your money, with your wealth, with what you have, uh, you're storing up a good foundation for the future, Paul describes it. And take hold of that which is really life indeed. You invest in the kingdom, that's true life. That's something that's going to last. So, again, it isn't evil to have wealth, and, and we cannot judge people who have wealth. And I've heard so much of that in the church and so much of that in, uh, in, in various places. We're just so grateful uh, for what God gives each of us, and all of us are called to give uh, generously with what we have. So another thought. Remember that putting effort into our finances is okay, but we just simply aren't completely in control of the results. Let's read this from Proverbs. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. 
Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. You can be the best financial manager on the planet. You can be a student in in high school. (coughs) You can have saved up money every year. You can have done the babysitting and working at the grocery store. And at that stage, I actually know people who have started saving for their retirement in high school. And I absolutely like applaud them. I wish that was me. Honestly, that would be just phenomenal. But all the same, like, as, as important as those principles are, there's a way in which, uh, completely beyond our control, that can just evaporate. That's just ultimately not where our hope and our faith can be. It's not a bad thing to work on those things. In fact, it's a really good thing. Really important principles. But if our hope and our heart is there... Uh, the first time a stock market dive happens and half of your mutual funds go in the tank, you're broken as a person. Our heart has to be uh, with the Lord. And, and to, what, what the passage is saying there is to value uh, yourself in the sense of don't let yourself become burdened or worn out in this because ultimately it's not what's stable. And this, uh, for us, is something that we struggle with as humans, especially in North America, uh, coming in with a, an incredibly uh, valuable and positive sort of work ethic uh, from, uh, that we've inherited from the Puritans that first came and landed uh, in this country, an incredibly awesome work ethic. But if we don't have time and space in our lives for investing in the kingdom, and all of our time and energy is invested in earning wealth, Uh, we're going to wear ourselves out and we're ultimately going to hurt ourselves and we're ultimately going to invest ourselves in something that isn't going to profit us for eternity. So keep it in balance. Uh, Keep it in perspective. Another thought here, human flourishing can come through our relationship with God regardless of our financial circumstances. Proverbs 11, uh, 28 says this, He who trusts in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a green leaf. How many of you know people in the developing world who are happier than you are? Right? This is a story, having had my friend David in the room uh, reminds me of uh, a mission trip we did to Guatemala when we were uh, just at the end of high school. And some of you have heard me tell this story, but one of the highlights of that was uh, we were serving in this, uh, in this neighborhood that was really, really close to a garbage dump, Uh, We were building a a Sunday school room for a church that was planted in this incredibly challenging uh, neighborhood. And we remember playing soccer with the kids out on the fringe of the garbage dump. David remembers that. And these kids were in, um, you know, like bare feet for the most part and and tattered clothes, playing soccer in a garbage dump. And we were in our Nikes and our nice clothes. And one... Uh, they were happy and they were joyful and they were full of life uh, playing. They were so glad to be connected with this church and this community and to know Jesus that they had this joy that was uh, greater than our joy. And not only that, they kicked our butts on the soccer field. (laughs) They just kicked our butts, you know? So they had something there in their poverty which exceeded uh, our joy. 
with all of the wealth that we brought. Human flourishing comes from relationship with God, not from finances. Uh, the nature of money is such that we, uh, if we attach our hearts to it, contentment becomes impossible. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, the nature of, of money is such that there is always more than you can possess. And the nature of humans is such that you always want more than you have. That set of conditions, more than you can ever have, and wanting more than you have, adds up to a recipe for always being discontent with your situation relative to the amount of wealth that's on the planet. We have to come to this with a sense that as humans, uh, we are creatures of the fall and there's a sense in which we're broken. And if you talk to somebody who has a lot of wealth and has a lot of money, um, uh, my cousin is, is great at, uh, at communicating this. Um, no matter how much you have, you can always want more and you can be unsatisfied. And this is a person who can actually go into a store, and, and I don't know very many people like this, and basically buy whatever they want whenever they want it, for the most part. And he will be the first person to tell you, money doesn't make you happy. It just doesn't. That's not where we're going to find uh, our joy. If you love it, you'll never have enough. Because we always want more of what we love. If you love God, you can always have more because he gives more all the time. That relationship with him will always be full of satisfaction because the moment you take the tiniest step towards the Father, uh, crying out for his love, he pours it out with incredible generosity and grace. And that's what we see on the cross. That's what we see uh, when we were talking about communion earlier. We see a God who, through what he did on the cross for us, like, like just, like, do you get how crazy it is that the creator of the universe, like, he has absolutely no need or no reason to be affected by us at all or for us to have any impact on him at all. For us to cost him anything at all, for us to experience uh, him in a way that costs him something, for him to experience pain, for him to experience hurt, for him to experience wounding. Do you get how absurd it is that God has exposed himself to that? It's insane. He did it because he wants you. He did it because he loves you. You were worth more to him than his own comfort. He limited himself for you. He put himself in a place where he would let people literally 
uh, throw him on the ground, whipped and beaten, and drive nails through his hands, and experience that, uh, not only uh, the pain that we would experience as humans, but with God-made senses. And then not only to uh, experience that sense of self-satisfaction over the sacrifice he made, but to carry on himself the incredible burden of our guilt and our shame and our sin. The weight of every human sin resting on his shoulders in that moment. God experienced that for you. He has proven to you that he loves you and that he cares for you. He's got you. And if you're invested in that, uh, beyond the temporal things, the financial things, the, the wealth, the money, uh, all of that stuff which uh, garners so much of our intention, if your heart is focused intentionally on connecting with him, he will meet that with the wealth of his love that flows like you cannot believe. There's little warnings for us. Guard your heart in times of plenty. You can be in an amazing relationship with God and find you've got all kinds of wealth coming at you and you can lose that sense of joy that you had in your poverty. You know, one of the things that, uh, that you know, this is just a classic passage around all of this, but around all of our anxiety, and he's saying the same thing here about connecting with the kingdom. Uh, the anxiety over our finances is, the antidote to that is to just take our attention off of it. When you're broke and when you're busted and when you don't have anything or when you feel like you don't have anything, that is the absolute best time to pour your heart into, into ministry. Absolute best time to pour your heart into the kingdom. He says, do not worry then saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing. The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If you don't seek it, that's the way to get it. To trust him. And just to bring us back to this sort of final thought just to remind ourselves, God just doesn't want your money. He doesn't need it. When we take, when we take an offering here at church, um, and we're saying, give as an act of worship to God, you know, we're not saying to you, God really needs some cash right now. <laughs> He's at serious risk of going broke. God could go bankrupt at any time. Right? That's not what we're saying. He doesn't need your cash. Why do we give? We give because he wants our hearts. And there's nothing that's connected to our hearts like money. So we give as a challenge to ourselves. Uh, We give uh, the forever part of us back to God. It says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where the thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart.
will be also. Put your heart in heaven. Put it in God's hands. And, uh, and we will live lives. Uh, that's my prayer for my own life and, and my prayer for, for all of our lives is to live lives just with less fear and less anxiety. Simply uh, by trusting in the goodness and generosity of God and pouring ourselves out for him. Let's just stand up together. God, I, if I could ask anything from you this morning, I'd ask you would do this one thing. That you would adjust in our thinking and in our hearts our understanding. Would you enable us to see the magnitude of the wealth that is in your kingdom relative to the magnitude of the wealth that's in the world? If you do anything for us this morning, God, uh, and I pray this for me, a, a broken person who wrestles uh, with finance and, and fear around this, I come with repentance, Father, uh, because I've put this so many times above you, so many times I've imagined, God, that, that financial prosperity and wealth and, and money and all of that uh, is as important as my relationship with you. I've lost perspective. I've lost sight. And I just pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit and give us a vision uh, for your kingdom. Let us see the magnitude of your sacrifice on the cross. Let us experience and know in the deepest uh, part of us the incredible power of your resurrection. And would you orient our lives around the telling of that story and of the allowing it to work in our lives. And we'll just trust you with the money in the background. Orient our hearts towards the kingdom again, Lord Jesus. We worship you. We praise you. We glorify you. We thank you. You are so good. Give us lives that are filled with gratitude and worship. Set us free from fear and anxiety. Set us free uh, from the bondage of an over-interest in our financial well-being. And set us free to do ministry. Set us free for the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Cool. God bless you.